As Gen AI reshapes industries, understanding and leveraging its capabilities is no longer an option, it's a necessity. And that's exactly why at Hatchworks, we developed our Gen AI Innovation Workshop. In this workshop, we immerse you into a full day of learning, hands-on ideation, and building. We hit foundational concepts and show you how they relate to your domain. Then we develop actual use cases for your business and your industry. And we even build a custom GPT based on the use cases we define. Check out the link in the show notes or visit hatchworks.com to get started today. Welcome to Built Right, a podcast by Hatchworks where we help you learn to build the right digital product the right way. In each episode, we'll deconstruct the layers of successful product development, break down popular trends, and offer real advice to help make sure your product is built right. We may not have all the answers, but we've built a lot of digital products across a lot of industries, and we've seen a thing or two. Let's get into it. All right, I'm excited to be joined today by Trent Cotton, Hatchworks VP of Talent and Culture. And he's the reason we're able to attract and retain the best talent in the industry across the Americas. He's got deep experience in talent management, organizational development, HR tech, data analytics. I got to take a breath here. HR process and has even developed his own unique process to recruiting called Sprint Recruiting, which frankly is just completely transformed how we recruit at Hatchworks. And oh, by the way, he's a published author, as you can see from the two book titles behind them, Sprint Recruiting, the first one, and The Futurist coming out later this fall. But welcome to the show, Trent. Thank you. Thank you. It's um, a little humbling. <laughs> That's quite the introduction. I appreciate it. Yeah, lots, lots of good stuff. And I'm sure we'll hit on some of the, the Sprint Recruiting stuff in the discussion later today. But the main topic, it's, it's a, a meaty one. It's a hot topic right now in the industry. And it's the tech talent shortage and how AI is going to impact that. And how do, how do I know this is a hot topic? Because our blogs right now on our, our website, those are getting the most traffic. It's talent shortage and it's how the impact of generative AI. Those are the most trafficked right now. And in PS, you can check those out on the Hatchworks website. And I'd say, make sure you stick around till the end. We're going to, we're going to go into whether AI is actually going to help shrink this talent shortage or make it even larger. But Trent, uh, to set the stage, help us just kind of set the stage of what what is the current talent shortage gap? What does the future projections look like? And kind of what's what's attributing to that? Help help break that down for us to kind of set the stage for today. All right, so you got to ask the data nerd to come out because I, I love some of the statistics. Yeah. Although I don't like come out saying I like yeah. the statistics. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so Corn Ferry, which is a a fairly large search firm. They have a fantastic analytic arm. Uh, it's one of the ones that I go to just to try and get a good feel of what's going on in the talent market. They estimate that by 2030, so not too far down the road, that 85 million jobs will go unfilled because of the shortage. So that that's a, that's a huge number. Now that's worldwide. Um, you're looking at about $8.5 billion, or excuse me, trillion with the T, and revenue loss, and just 162 billion of that is here in the United States. So I mean, we're 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 going against something that is borderline unprecedented, uh, which is is causing a lot of. I was going to say, just for context, that gap in revenue, right, is because there's initiatives companies want to do and things they want to get done, but they just don't have the talent no. to do them, right? 
Wow, that's that's insane. The competitive landscape now, everything is driven by tech. So if you're not staying ahead of the curve with the latest tech and, and making sure that something as simple as your website, your apps, your delivery systems, you know, think about Amazon, all of the different technology that's involved, that's what made them the behemoth that they are. They can't keep the roles filled quick enough to be able to stay ahead of the curve, which is a direct translation over into revenue. Maybe. Oh, that's, that's it's interesting. Scary. It's really scary. Yeah. Yeah. And some of the driving things. So, I mean, that's a, that's a scary stat. And so let's kind of peel it back and, you know, what's driving this? And some of this has been hyper-intensified since COVID. So one of the first ones is the baby boomers. That was a huge generation of the workforce. A lot of them were forced to retire early in COVID. And they never re-entered the workforce. So they re-entered at, at kind of a lower skill level. So that greatened the gap that was already there. And then you have this up and coming generations that are not necessarily at that same skill level that's furthering the gap. But then you throw technology and the constant evolution of technology and you can't keep your workers skilled enough, fast enough to be able to evolve as quickly as um, AI is changing the game. I mean, just think about it. This time last year, were we talking about chat GPT? No. I mean, I, I know I wasn't. Um, we weren't looking at the impact that generative AI is going to have. There was some talk about it in theory. Now the rubber's hit the road. And now companies are looking at, you know, it, it just in the last six or seven months, all the evolution is going. So that that's just a micro vision of what's going on in the economy and the direct impact of, of a gap that's already huge in the talent market is just going to exacerbate the issue. And then two, tech professionals... You know, the average person changes the job about three to four years, according to LinkedIn. And tech professionals change 20% more. So it's, you know, the the average anywhere between a year and a half to two years. So not only do you have the gap, not only do you have all of this changing technology, then you, then you got to figure out how do I keep these people once I get them on board. So it is for a lot of talent people or talent professionals, we're finding a battle on six or seven different fronts. So... For anyone that is listening that is a CEO, uh, go and love on your talent person. They are exhausted. <laughs> you know, we get past the pandemic and that one of this other stuff starts happening. So uh, I usually know talent people because all of us have circles under our eyes for the last three years. No, and, you, and you're deep in the industry too. That, that's funny. Yeah, go go give your love to some talent people. They need it right now. But it's interesting though. It's It's not like one thing. It's like five, six different things all attributing to this talent shortage we have right now, right? It is It is quite the perfect storm. Um, just because you can't, you can't deal with just one issue. So let's go back four or five years. Um, you were able to, to diagnose one particular area and go in there and fix it, do some triage, and then move on about your business. There's no way to do triage whenever you've got all of this stuff that is so interconnected and interdependent and constantly changing. So just when you think you can diagnose, it, it, it's very much like a virus. You know, you kind of treat the virus just as soon as you think that you have it nipped, the thing mutates and now you've got something different. That's the current state of the talent market. And then you add to that that, that most recruiting processes are utterly broken. It, it's just so you... You can't get the talent. You have to worry about retaining the talent. And then it takes too damn long for the talent to get on board because of the, the, the broken process. So there's a lot of things that companies are trying to do 
um, to leverage AI to help fix some of that, uh, at least from a process and engagement standpoint. Uh, some of the analytics, you know, we use a lot of um, HR analytics to really kind of get a sentiment analysis of what's going on with our um, with our team members. Because the, I think the difference for us versus a lot of companies that I've consulted or that I've worked with is everyone talks about, yeah, retention's a big thing. I have never worked for a company like Hatchworks. We're obsessed. Like, we almost take it personally. Whenever people leave, we want to dig into why did they leave? You know, how do we make sure that no one else in the organization feels that way? And I think that speaks a lot to why we have over 98% retention in our organization. Yeah, that 98% number is insane. And I do want to get to this topic around AI, but you, you hit on something that's interesting. You know, everybody kind of sees AI as this, you know, maybe this is the, the solution to solve all our problems, but you mentioned the process point of it. And I think it's worth noting just, you know, because I've been amazed at how much it's helped us, but the sprint recruiting, and not that we're going to go on a full tangent on the sprint recruiting and everything there, but just hit it at a high level because it's done so much for our organization. It's worth noting that, you know, there there are basic fundamentals with process that are important to have in in talent recruiting, anything in business, but this is especially true here. Yeah, the uh, so let, let's tackle the four dysfunctions of the recruiting. I said that the, the recruiting process is broken. I've been in... Recruiting in HR for 20 years, I've done through Hatchworks, I've also done some consulting for our clients on their recruiting process. There are four constants. Um, the first dysfunction is that everything's a priority, which means nothing is a priority. Yeah. Recruiting groups are limited by time, focus, and energy. And whenever you're constantly moving the needle or, or moving their cheese, they're not able to make the progress that they need. The second is that there is no rhythm or opportunity for recruiters or recruiting leaders to stop and go, hey, what's working and what's not? And find ways that you can scale what's working and, and identify the obstacles and work together with the partners to overcome them. And then clients and recruiters are, um, it's kind of like running a daycare sometimes as a talent leader because you have the hiring manager saying, this person hit me. And then you got the recruiter saying, well, this person looked at me. And there's just this huge uh, lack of alignment. And then the last one is the feedback loop is broken. Uh, whenever I first started this, I, I went through Agile training, came out of it, and I said, okay, there's got to be something that I can learn from Agile and apply it to recruiting. And the first one was looking at the feedback. Um, the average amount of time that it would take for us to get feedback on candidates was two to three weeks. So there's your four dysfunctions. We balance that in sprint or Agile recruiting with the four principles, the first one, we look at things in two weeks. So if you've got 400 jobs, the first part of that funnel is, okay, in the next two weeks, what's realistic and what's the most important roles that the team needs to focus on and get filled? That can be to mitigate risk. That could be to drive revenue. That could be to hit certain milestones within the technology sprint. The next is the business defines the priority. So we go to them and say, okay, out of those 400, you say these 20 are the most important. You have 200 points. I want you to assign a point value to those 20 and we're going to work them in order. The next is that we have whip limits or work in progress limits. So we limit the number of candidates in each stage of the process because that enhances the candidate experience. It makes sure that we do not lose great candidates. It also stops this FOMO that a lot of hiring managers have. If I want to interview 25 people, look, dude, there's not 25 people out there. You know, we need to go and move on these top five. And the last one is that we have a 48-hour feedback mandate. Uh, we present a candidate. We want 48 hours. We want feedback, yes, no. 
And what this does is it provides almost like a drumbeat. It also provides us metrics. So we, I know on average on 10 day sprint, day two, day seven, day eight, and day 10. That's usually whenever our offers go out. I don't schedule meetings with my teams. I block any kind of meeting or anything that's going to disrupt them from focus on getting those offers out the door. We're also able to track how many candidates we can almost precisely say, if you need a full stack developer, we can get it done in 32 days. Or if you just trust our judgment and you want us to hire it for them and we place them on the project, we can get it done in probably about one sprint or at least maybe 15 or 16 days. There's not a lot of companies out there that can do that. And we move with speed because now we're focused so intently on what is important to the company and not just working on everything. We've developed these pipelines of candidates that are just sitting and waiting for us to go and pluck them and put them on our project. So we've really been able to ship, I mean, kudos to our talent team. Uh, this time last year, we were not in this space. Now we're on the offense. We're, we're ready to go. Yeah, I mean, you hit it. it. It changed the way we work. And I love the the comment. It's it, There is a rhythm to it. It's like the whip limits. And, you know, my wife will tell you, rhythm's important. And I'm six foot eight, left-handed, and two left feet. And I don't have it. So it's <laughs> it's critically important. And it, it, right. it the team has it. You could just, and it gets them excited too. So, that, you know, a little bit of a tangent, but it's it's worth hitting on. Because um, so many people overlook the process sauce, element. Honestly. Yeah, yeah. All right, so... Let's get into this topic of how AI is going to impact this talent shortage. And I think, you know, one thing to note, like AI has been around for a super long time. It's nothing new. And like, I'd encourage folks to check out our episode with uh, Jason Slachter. He's got a lot of insight on the history of AI and everything there. But what's been interesting about this latest evolution, like you mentioned with ChatGPT, these large language models, the generative aspect of it, it's almost made it. Uh, you know, it, it democratized it. It made it accessible to all in a lot of ways where you don't have to be, you know, in the code doing things to, to leverage it. Uh, but what's, let's get into kind of your perspective of how, how is this going to impact the talent market? Uh, whether it's, you know, does it shrink it? Does it grow it? Or how does it enable people to perform better at their jobs? There's a lot of angles we could take this, but we'd love kind of your take of, you know, this, this, AI boom that's going on right now. Yeah, absolutely. So I think the the greatest impact that it's going to have is, is some of the frontline workers. I think there's going to be a lot of um, a lot of intense look by organizations to say, okay, what can AI do that we we don't necessarily need a human to do? There's going to be also so that that's kind of the first major impact there. So that that's not going to create a skill gap. That's actually going to create a surplus of un, unskilled workers, which is Again, this is just part of that whole big trifecta that we're dealing with. But then if you move a little bit upstream, <clears throat> there are going to be jobs that are highly impacted that are very manual in process that AI um, or even, you know, some of the machine learning, some of all, all of the different technology impacts are going to look and make, how can we do this in a more streamlined fashion, uh, more efficient with a focus on client engagement and client retention. I think that's going to be one of the very interesting things because, you know, whenever you have these manual processes, you don't have analytics on the background, uh, on the back end. Companies now, especially since COVID, are so obsessed with what is the data telling us. I know in HR we are. Um, what is the data telling us, and how do we make sure that we stay ahead of the curve? That that that's going to be one of the things that companies go. Okay, we we've got to invest in this. 
So there's, there's going to be opportunities for a lot of workers to be able to learn some of these processes, maybe not from a technology standpoint, but how do they actually leverage AI as a partner versus it's an us versus them. And I think this is, this is the part that's going to be really exciting for the right part of the workforce that sees this as an opportunity to level up their skills and they go into it with an open mindset. Um, I always use the example of, um, because I get asked in, in HR a lot, you know, is, is HR going to be replaced by AI? And the answer is no, it's not. Well, some of it, yes. Um, I look at AI almost like Iron Man. So Rob Stark, fantastic guy, wonderful business guy, billionaire, sexy, charming. All, I mean, he's a badass all by himself. You, you put him along with his AI and Jasper and you put the suit on, now he's a superhero. And if you watch, he's taking in all this data that AI is able to process incredibly quickly, but he's still making the decision on whatever action he's going to do. So I think that the more that, that we as talent professionals and leaders in the organizations can look at our workforce and go, how do we take our, our Rob Starks, you know, that are not Rob Stark, that's Game of Thrones. Oh my gosh. Tony Stark. There we go. Tony Stark. Yeah. I was like, well, we're, we're mixing uh, genres here. Yeah, so now everybody knows I'm one of those kind of nerds and I, <laughs> I like Game of Thrones and man. Um, but you take your, who who are your Tony Starks and how can we make them better by pairing them up with something that's going to uh, just enhance their delivery or enhance their, their job skills. But then you have the whole thing with tech. So it's it's really interesting. Um, I was talking to a, a professional not too long ago and, and they were frustrated because they were trying to get some some roles filled for developers, and the managers were getting so ticked because they were doing like an assessment, and a couple of the people using ChatGPT to kind of help with some of the basic code, and then they were focused on like the more sexy stuff, and the manager was disqualifying them. And to me, that that's the antithesis. That that's that's what people should be using AIs. What's the mundane, non-value add, but critical and necessary parts of this coding or or whatever it is? Let AI do that so that way they can work on some of the things that are more impactful. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's the whole point around our, our built right method at Hatchworks is how do you enable, and I love that co-pilot mindset because that's what it is, right? It's it's not going to take over. It's going to make uh, the folks leveraging it better. I think one interesting point though that I've heard from some, it's like, you know, it, 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 you can't over rely on it to the extent of if you have a bad developer, you give them AI that could actually make a more tangled mess versus you have skilled developers leveraging it. I love that idea of it gets rid of the mundane. That's like the first go at this. Um, but it's, it's like the copilot example, you know, I think Tesla has this where if you're in copilot mode, it forces you to touch the steering wheel every so often. So you don't just go completely, you know, mindless and same thing with flying a plane, same kind of, uh, you know, analogy could be applied to technology. But I do think that this is going to force companies to, and we've been looking at this since COVID. How do you reskill, upskill, and redeploy your workforce? I think now with, with some of the intensity that's coming driven by artificial intelligence, that is going to, that's really going to kind of come to the forefront. I know that organizationally we're talking about it. We, um, we give all of our employees a, a $2,000 a year training budget to use to get certifications or, you know, whatever they want to learn to enable them to be even more productive in an area of interest. And so, you know, we're, we're looking at 
what are some AI courses? What are some AI certifications that we can offer to our our employees to make sure that they're staying ahead of the game? Um, so not just to benefit them, but also to benefit our clients. You know, we want to be that trusted partner, not just someone that you come to and say, "Hey, I need three or four software developers in the DevOps." You know, we want to be able to come in and add a level of knowledge and acumen that is unparalleled to anybody else in the market. Yeah, and I think too the the other interesting point, and you hit on it. It's like so many folks are looking externally for this talent when you have this like workforce sitting there that that if you give some you know love and care to in terms of upskilling them, you can help evolve them. So that that's that's a great point and a big piece that's missed a lot, I think, with a lot of organizations. Yeah, and there's actually uh, some, there's a lot of government funding that's going into boot camps. They're looking at, you know, some of these low to moderate income areas or, or even people that, you know, maybe you train to be a teacher, like, all right, I'm tired of this. And you want to do an about face, but you don't want to necessarily go back to college. There's boot camps out there that will teach you uh, some of the basics of, of coding, software development, AI, and some of this. So a lot of companies are actually being forced to shift the educational requirements and look more at non-traditional approaches. So it, it's, it has had a very far reaching and very deep impact on the talent strategy for most companies in the U S. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great point. So next thing I want to get into, um, you know, what, what's your take here is, is AI, this new evolution with AI, is it going to close this talent gap or does it make it wider? Uh, maybe what's your, take there or maybe there's alternate you know parallel universes or it could be the case on both yeah, sides i think we're more in a parallel yeah it, it's definitely in um you know reference another movie kind of the metric is like which pillar we want to take here uh, right. and it's and it's a lot of what we've been talking about do we use this as an opportunity to reskill some of those that may be replaced by ai uh, or their jobs change as a result of impl implementing some type of ai practices if we do, then I think that that's going to shorten the gap um, and, and be able to tap into a huge force and it's actually going to help break some of the, the, the poverty cycles because a lot of these frontline workers, you know, they, they just kind of stay in that mode. If we're able to go in and, and take them and give them a skill that's actually applicable in the new market, I think that's going to help us economically, but it's also going to help from, from a tally gap. If we do not, that gap is going to continue to exponentially um, just grow. And it's, it's terrifying, uh, looking at, I mean, 85 million jobs by 2030. That's, that's mind blowing. Um, I mean, that, that's, that's more jobs than we're added. And I can't even think of how many years that, that, that we're just going to lose in the blip of, you know, a decade or two decades. That's crazy. It's, I, I want to get your take here. So there's Andreessen Horowitz, you know, he wrote the seminal article of why software is eating the world and he has this new one out why ai will save the world and just to call out a couple points he has these different ai risk he goes through and i encourage anybody to check this out super interesting read here but it is no point number three is will ai take all our jobs and his perspective is you know every new major technology has led to more jobs higher wages throughout history uh, with each wave accompanied with a panic of, you know, this time is different. It's going to steal all their jobs and everything. Uh, and he gets into this point that, you know, that, that doesn't necessarily happen. 
Uh, and then he goes on to call out, you know, if we're allowed to develop and proliferate throughout the economy, this new kind of evolution with AI, it may actually cause the most dramatic and sustained economic boom of all time with corresponding like record job and wage growth. Um, but it's this interesting point. And, and the last thing I'll hit on, and let's, let's chat there. I'm curious to get your take, but he talks about this lump of labor fallacy, which is the notion that we have this fixed amount of labor to be done. So it's like supply and demand side. Uh, and either humans are going to do it or machines are going to do it. But the fallacy comes into play. He goes on in the article to state that, uh, when you have AI and things like that, making it cheaper to do things, it cr increases purchasing power of people. People have new demands and wishes and all these things, which creates all new types of uh, businesses and verticals and industries and all these things. And like one point he mentions from Milton Friedman, humans' wants and needs are endless. Like it's just kind of an interesting point. But like, what's what's your take there on Andreessen Horowitz's you know kind of perspective? Uh, I think it's a unique one. Um, what's what's your perspective there? Um, so I'm, I'm going to get to an answer. Um, so. I'm going to equate it to something like the the economic downturn. So let's let's go back and look at 2008 through let's just 2011. Okay, banks failed, massive massive recession, setback. People are out of jobs. Darkest of times, you would think. But look at what came out of that. Prior to 2008 2010, did we know that we needed an Uber? Did we know that we could have a social network that you know, people could go and actually create their online business and be an influencer and make money from that. So I, I agree with what he is saying that, that this new technology will spawn a, an economy or, or facets of the economy that, that we don't know that we need yet because we haven't really, the need has not been created. So I, I do agree with that from a, from a talent perspective, it's going to be really interesting to see, um, that sounds really, really exciting of new new economic avenues, new job opportunities, new job growth. But I'm a little concerned that we can't fill the damn jobs that we have now. How are we going to fill some of these new ones out there? Yeah, does it make it worse, right? <laughs> right, right. So there's like the personal side of me that gets really excited and go, oh, I wonder what's next. And then the talent part of me kicks in and goes, oh, crap. You know, <laughs> here, comes, here comes another level of, of complexity. But I, I do think that this is, this is an opportunity for a lot of organizations uh, we do this to a degree of, of going in and trying to get ahead of the curve. So looking at how do we train up and get high schoolers or just start high school? How do we get them involved in some of the tech um, jobs and the tech opportunities that are out there? Because a, a lot of, I know I did, I thought tech is fun. I like it as a consumer, but I don't necessarily want to sit there and code all day. Well, there's other things in the technology sector besides just sitting down and coding. Uh, but there may be a kid out there that that's how their brain works and they love that kind of stuff, but they don't know that that's actually an avenue. So our, um, we, we have a philanthropic arm called Hatch Futures where we actually go in and, and we do that. So anyone in the United States is familiar with Junior Achievement, it's very similar to uh, Junior Achievement, but we do it through STEM. So we, we teach them the basics of an algorithm using a couple of pictures saying, hey, put this in order. Guess what? You just wrote logic. That's what an algorithm is. And it's just an opportunity for us to be able to get them excited. So 
I think more companies that go in and start doing that is going to help, not in the immediate, but it's going to help us in the next five to 10 years as those high schoolers come out and, and they're on the cutting edge of some of those technology programs. That's one avenue. The other avenue, it gets back to how are we going to reskill and redeploy our, our current workforce? And will we have the interest? Will we have the um, commitment to some of our current employees to make sure that they stay abreast of the new technology? So when those new opportunities do come up, we're, we're ready to meet them and we're ready to push them into it. Yeah, it, I, it, you you triggered one thought in my head too. That's interesting. With we kind of hit on it earlier, you know, this uh, evolution of generative AI. It's democratizing AI in a lot of ways. But a lot of folks, especially younger kids coming up, you know, they think of coding as like, uh, let me see if I get the sides of the brain right. It's more like right brain, like analytical thinking, all that. And it's like, oh, I'm creative. That's not for me. But what it does is like the actual physical coding becomes maybe less important to those other other avenues you can leverage from a creative standpoint that I think is a huge unlock, whether it's, you know, with a chat GPT or you have like mid journey and people are creating whole movies with AI, generative AI. And it's like this whole new world in a sense for like the creative folks out there that I think is going to be really interesting to see how that evolves over time. It is. And, and, and with, with AI, there's, and I think um, it was probably a couple of months ago that one of the big articles on LinkedIn was, you know, a company was paying over $300,000 for a uh, chat GPT prompt engineer. Like, how do you structure the logic to get AI to do what you want to do? So that's not necessarily coding, but I mean, that is an avenue and you do have to understand the logic behind it. So I think that there are going to be opportunities that open up that are not the more traditional as we think of today um technical routes and how are we going to educate the youth currently and how are we going to re-educate our workforce to be able to meet those those demands that that's to me that is probably public enemy number one yeah do you think this whole evolution has an impact on the proportion of folks that prefer prefer like gig type work versus like you know gainfully employed by a single employee do you think that impacts that in any way that kind of trend it does. If you look at um, the, it's called the workforce participation rate. So it measures, I think it's from 24 to, don't hold me, I think it's 62 or 48, sorry. It's looking at what are the, what percentage of the population is actually working. Yeah. It is flatline. It is in the 80s, it was at 80%. You know, it dropped down to 70%. We have been hovering in and around 60 to 62% over the last three or four years since COVID. Because what happened with COVID is that it wasn't just a recession where just the financial industry or the car industry was impacted. COVID was unilateral in its um, decimation of jobs. And so a lot of people moved to the gig workforce because they don't. They don't want to have to depend on their livelihood coming from someone else. This is hyper intensive in the technology space. There are people that just enjoy working on a project and they want to do it for themselves. Um, they're, they're a freelancer. They don't want to necessarily clock in or have to go to meetings or anything else like that. They enjoy that freedom of just doing the work that they're passionate about and then clocking out and enjoying life. We're starting to see a lot more of that behavior wise, mindset wise, you know, it's something that we look at internally of, you know, we've got people that are highly engaged and really want to be on that employee side and all the training. And then we've got others that just 
all they want to do is do their work and and call it a day. So, you know, we've had to learn to be very flexible and agile to be able to accommodate both types of mindsets so that way we can retain the top talent in the market. If a company goes in and says it is this way or no way, you're probably going to have more of a talent gap or or a talent shortage than your competitor who's willing to say, you know what, if you just want to be a contractor, that's fantastic. Just get the work done, you know, and, and go and live your life the way that you want to. So it, it's it's another aspect that's a result uh, that was intensified with COVID. Um, there's 24, 24% of the male market left from 2020 to and economists cannot figure out where they went. Now, ideally, I mean, interestingly enough, if you look at the, the timeline and you look at uh, average number of hours of gameplay, it's almost really proportional from when they left to the hours that... It's playing video but games. I think that link... <laughs> yeah, they're playing video games, but I think it's more because they're doing gig work and they can go and, in, you know, enjoy games and work whenever they want to. So there, there's some benefits both sides. But companies have got to learn to be a little less dictatorial and a lot more flexible and agile if they want to survive. Yeah, the old don't, don't cut off your nose despite your, your face. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So a couple rapid fire questions for you. What, what AI technology is most exciting to you right now, whether it's a tool or anything in particular? Um, for me, it is the impact on HR analytics. So sentiment analysis, forecasting, um, looking at, cause for the longest time you could look at what was going on internally, but it, then you would have to pull in data from external and it was a very manual process um now you've got these that can just go and scrape the information say here's your retention male female age groups against what's going on in the industry quicker than it would take for me to actually go and find the information two or three years ago so the impacts on hr analytics on talent analytics is is probably one of the things that i am just i'm like over there like a, a kid at christmas waiting to open up a gift i'm, I'm ready for Oh, there's so many tools coming out. It's so cool to watch. Who who are you watching in the HR, you know, talent or tech talent industry? Who are you following that you really find insightful or interesting? You know, it, it's um, I have a love hate relationship with applicant tracking systems. Most of them are built for HR processes, not actually built for finding and engaging and nurturing talent. Um, there has been one that I've looked at not too long ago, Luxo who has got all the AI and machine learning power for sourcing across multiple platforms. It's got the nurturing and everything that, again, is driven by AI and nudges and all that from a candidate relationship management. And then it's got all the cool little backend stuff with all the analytics. So to me, it's just interesting to kind of watch some of these thought leaders take these thoughts and actually become advisors. Uh, for some of the HR tech companies and, and having an immediate and direct influence on it. So I think some of the big boys that have enjoyed all the, the limelight and the talent market like the LinkedIn uh, that has gotten so much money invested in it, and I don't really recognize a change over the last 10 years, you know, there's a there's a lot of people that are coming for them. So I am, I'm here for the show. I'm kind of like that, that Michael Jackson just popping popcorn going, okay, which one's going to win? <laughs> That's all right. Uh, all right, last one for you. Uh, what's one thing you wish you could go back to your former self before you started your career to give yourself some advice? Any, any one piece of advice you would give yourself? Uh, trust the journey. There are so many. So I, I started out as a banker. I put myself through college as a banker. I uh, got into HR because I hated working with HR professionals. And there are so many 
curves that I took um, that did not make sense at the time, but now whenever I look at it, it makes complete sense. You know, the banker, the analytic, the minoring in statistics that comes in handy in, in, in HR now because I can look at data and see what is the story that's being told. So it's just kind of trust the journey. Yeah, trust the journey. I love that. All right, Trent, thanks for joining us. Uh, wait, wait, before we go, where can people find you? What's the best spot to go find Trent and all the great insight you have? Um, LinkedIn.com, Trent Cotton. You can follow me at Twitter, at uh, Trent Cotton, all one word. Uh, you can follow me on SprintRecruiting.com or Futurist. That's F-U-T-H-R-I-S-T.com. And, of course, you can follow uh, all the blogs and posts that we do on Hatchworks. Yeah, and find the Sprint Recruiting out on Amazon, I'm assuming, or I guess on your website directly, so you don't have to pay the, the fees to Amazon. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, it's, it's on both. But uh, yeah, you can go and get it on Amazon, and it's on Kindle, and then Futurist comes out in the fall. Yeah, great, Trent. I appreciate you joining us. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to Built Right. If you enjoyed the show, give us a follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And don't forget to leave us a review. For more info on Built Right, visit us at hatchworksbuiltright.com. Do you already have a Gen AI use case in mind for your business, but don't know where to get started? Hatchworks Gen AI Accelerator is exactly what you need. We guide you from ideation to a tangible prototype. Our approach provides a low-risk, high-value pathway for you to validate and test Gen AI technology on a small scale before committing to full production. We take you through technology and LLM selection, perform data preparation, and then build the actual prototype. And then we do testing and model fine-tuning of your prototype. The best part is we get you to this prototype in just two to eight weeks based on the scope of your use case. Check out the link in the show notes or visit hatchworks.com to get started today.